Great. Wonderful. Hello, everyone. Hello. Good to see you. Uh, that was good. Pretty friendly, considering the topic. That's nice. That's good. Uh, my name's Rich, and uh, it's my kind of privilege to be able to think about this extremely large question today. What does Jesus think about Brexit? Now, I want to kind of get us rolling by conducting a little social experiment, if you'll permit me. I'm going to say a sentence, and you have to respond to the sentence loudly, you're getting nervous, with only a sound effect or a noise, okay? So you have to express your feelings about this sentence with only a sound effect, okay? Ready? Here goes. This morning, we're going to spend the next 45 minutes thinking all about Brexit, (laughs) nice I've been looking forward to that moment all week since I thought of doing that that was just for my benefit that was fun we can have a few different feelings can't we you know Brexit fatigue have you heard of this where we're just a little bit done with it now aren't we whatever we voted we can feel a little bit tired of it I listened in preparation for this talk to a talk on this theme that was given six months before the referendum And the guy started it by going, aren't we all tired of talking about Brexit? And I thought, oh, how little you know, my friend. Just you wait. I wonder how he's feeling now. Perhaps you feel fatigued. Perhaps, though, you feel uh, a little bit more positive about it. You feel faith-filled. You think there's opportunities. This is interesting, but it's exciting. Let's see what happens. Maybe you feel fearful. Fatigued, faith-filled, fearful maybe is your experience. Perhaps you're from a European Union nation and you're thinking about what this means for your future. Perhaps you intended to travel or go and you're thinking, what does this mean? Or perhaps you're thinking financially, what does this mean? We can feel afraid on this topic. There's all the feelings we might have. I also want to say that I really hope this morning that there would be people in the room who feel very strongly, zealously, and passionately for either side of this debate. I mean, there's now about 100 sides, isn't there? But the initial question, leave, remain. I hope there'd be people in the room with really strong opinions either way. And I'll tell you why I I hope that. It's not just so that we can have a good row in the Q&A, though... That's up to you if we do that. The reason I hope there'd be those strong opinions is because Birmingham as a city was very, very divided on this question. You might think, really? Surely not. We're a very balanced, reasonable place. Birmingham was split 50.4 to 49.6, which was only 3,500 votes which is like maybe about as many away fans as go to Villa Park. Just a little corner, just that small number was the split. And you think, well, this proves it, Rich. We're a very balanced city. You know, there's no division here because people were neither here nor there, and it was all very friendly. That's not what those numbers mean. (laughs) Those numbers reveal that in our city, people actually in different pockets of the city were very strongly one way or the other, and it just happened that they were so strong one way or the other that it balanced out almost the same. It wasn't that no one cared. It was that people cared a lot one way or the other. So let me show you some stats, and you can uh, make up your own mind what these stats reveal about Brexit or about the places we're going to talk about, but that's up to you. Let's just uh, stick the first one up. Mosley and Kings Heath, 87% remain. 
Okay, that's a strong push one way. Selioke, where I live, 70% remain. Edgebaston, where this building is, 67% remain. Harborne, where our west site is, where this is the south site of Church Central, we meet in three locations. Our west site technically meets in Harborne, 66% remain. Though our west site, if you just cross the Hagley Road from our west site to where lots of our west site live and work and where we reach with our west site, you move into somewhere called Sandwell. And Sandwell was also 66%, but 66% leave. And so we have strong opinions even just over the Hagley Road. What a beautiful road it is as well. Bourneville, 58% remain. Wheelie Castle, 58% leave. Kings Norton, 60% leave. Longbridge, 65% leave. Bartley Green, 66% leave. And where our north site reaches... In King's Standing, 71% of voters voted leave. And have fascinating insights into our city. King's Heath to King's Standing, quite different on this question. And that's why I hope there are people of different opinions in the room, because we want to be a church that isn't an echo chamber for any form of politics, but that is a church that represents our city well. And that's why I hope there would be difference of opinion in the room, And that's why it's also really important for me to flag up right at the start that this morning is nay a campaign rally for one way or the other. That's not what we're doing this morning. Notice I didn't come with my my European flag draped around my shoulders or my my Union Jack suit. Uh, I don't have either of those things, but (laughs) I came dressed very neutrally in grey because this is not a rally for either way. This is not a, a church that believes that you need to vote one way on this. And this is not a a faith that has one answer to quite a niche modern question, actually. The Bible is not a Brexit book. You need to hear that, whatever you've heard. And Christianity equally is not a remain religion. You know, Jesus... It's interesting. People always wanted to fit Jesus into their political frameworks, don't they? It was true then. It's true now. Uh, Just stick this little picture up that will represent that. My God's a Republican. Exactly the same image, but change it. My God's a Democrat. And I think that people always want to put Jesus up, because he's a good dude, isn't he? As their politics is Jesus-y. And you know, that's going to be popular. But I don't think that's what Jesus did. In his day, he was political, yes... He said some scandalously political things. The whole Bible, uh, act justly, that's a political phrase. Walk humbly, Uh, what's the other one? Love mercy. These are political statements. Uh, He says, Jesus is Lord. That means Jesus is emperor. That's a political statement. But Jesus didn't come and run for office. Did you notice that? (laughs) Jesus didn't come and say, well, I pledge to, you know, clean up the streets of Jerusalem if you get behind me. Or it, that wasn't his game. Jesus, when Jesus stood before elected power or propped up power, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm doing a different thing. I'm not here to prop up a politician. Jesus is fine, thank you. He doesn't need to be propping up other people and saying they're going to solve things. So Jesus must not be used politically to prop up Donald Trump. That's inappropriate. Jesus equally must not be used politically to prop up Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. 
He's doing a new thing. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is not red or blue. Jesus is not a poster boy for Farage or Rhys Mogg. And if anyone tells you that, you shouldn't believe it. Jesus is not a poster boy for Jeremy Corbyn or David Lammy. If anyone tells you that, you shouldn't believe it. He's doing a new thing. And Jesus in his day was all about big questions, but he was all about getting under the skin of big questions. Not, yes, I, I certainly think that the Norway plus option is the only godly way to leave the EU. He might think that. I'm sure he doesn't have an opinion on it. But what he does do is get under the skin and get under the heart and go to the longings and the fears that drive people to make certain decisions. He gets under the structures and says, what are you longing for? Is that, is that, is that the just way to do that? He gets under the skin. And that's what I want to do this morning is not so much say Christians should vote whatever. I want to get under the skin and think deeper about some of the things that Brexit teaches us and reveals to us. And then I want to ask, what does Jesus have to say about those things? If that's okay. You might think I'm skirting the issue. You can pill me in the Q&A if you want to. But here's three things I think Brexit reveals deeper than just in or out. And let's think about them together. Firstly, Brexit has revealed that our society is not working for lots of people. Brexit has revealed that. Now, I'm just going to say this up front. We would all disagree about what's wrong with society or what could be done to put it right. And I'm not saying Brexit is the solution or isn't the solution. I'm simply saying that shock populist political results, the likes of which we're seeing all around the world only happen in a context where there's large swathes of people who are deeply discontent with how things are and have a deep desire for a new way. I'm not saying that what we're doing is going to bring that about, but it only happens in the context where loads of people feel discontent and a desire for substantial change. That's what's happening in our our world. Uh, It might be various politicians that spring to mind as I say that sort of thing. Uh, Let's just think of someone who might not have popped to mind. Let's think of Barack Obama for a second. Barack Obama. Do you remember Barack Obama? Feels like a while ago now. Barack Obama came to be president of America because he said something along the lines of this. His message was, the way things are around here isn't right. We want a better way. Do you remember his, his poster, Hope? Do you remember that? The blue and the red poster? And he said, Hope, we want a better way, a new way. It might be working for you guys, but it ain't working for us. And if this resonates with you, follow me. And loads of people who felt very overlooked and marginalized, who'd not voted for a long time, came out in, in, in loads of numbers to get behind him because they were discontent with how things were. And it's uh, not my job to say whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. That's, that's up to you. Now just think a few years later. Think of Donald Trump. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> you've trained your boy well, haven't you? Look at that, parenting. Or was it a cry of support? No, no, no. Here we go. <laughs> Think of Trump. What did Trump say? In effect, Trump said, see if you notice, it's quite similar, isn't it? The way things are around here isn't right. We want a better way. A new way. It might be working for you lot, but it ain't working for us. 
And if this resonates with you, follow me. And loads of people who were discontent and hadn't voted for ages came out in mass numbers and voted for him. Now, that's not to say which one of those is right or wrong or if, there's, if one of those is right or wrong. But it's to show that the surprise votes like that happen in the context of discontent. And commentators agree that Brexit is that sort of thing and it reveals that sort of thing in our society. You see, these seeming anti-establishment, anti-status quo type results only come when loads of people don't like how it is. And sociologists agree that of leave and remain side, that Brexit was that sort of thing. And therefore, Brexit is not the disease that is everything wrong with our society. However you voted, Brexit is a symptom of underlying deeper things in our society. Maybe that will affect how we kind of chuck memes out. We'll get onto that in a bit. Uh, Alexander Betts, in his... TED Talk says this, for a significant majority of the Leave voters, and this guy is a a Remainer to his core, the concern was disillusionment with the political establishment. This was a protest vote for many, a sense that nobody represented them. They couldn't find a political party that spoke for them, and so they rejected that political establishment. Owen Jones, a a very left-wing journalist, said this, Brexit rode the wave of an anti-establishment sentiment that's sweeping across the Western world. There's something happening in the Western world where people are, are, are discontent. John Harris said this in The Guardian, Britain's divides run far deeper than Brexit. I think that's the issue. Tensions have been bubbling away for decades. The Brexit vote just exploded them. And Victor Seidler, the emeritus professor of sociology at Goldsmiths, in his book on Brexit, said this. Many voters felt disenfranchised within the political system. These voters felt there was no effective political voice that was prepared to speak to their concerns. There were layers of suppressed anger at being constantly patronized and talked down to. We need to tweet sarcastically about that. Oh, no, sorry. We need to understand the sources of this anger and rage. We need to listen without assuming we know the answers. Now, none of this is to say anything about whether Brexit is the solution. I haven't said a sentence about that. That's on you to think. But it shows that loads of people were fed up. And I think before that causes us to to chuck out sarcasm on Facebook... I wonder if that should cause us to deeply reflect about our society and what's working in our society. Why is it that 87% of one bit of Birmingham thinks so differently to 71% of King Standing? I don't know, but we need to reflect on that, about what our society should be like, about why our society is the way it is. You know, I think because this is happening right across the Western world, I think this should pause for each of us, whatever our politics, whatever our religion, to ask these sorts of questions. You know, is the way the West is doing society, you know how we love to export it around the world? You know, we think we know what we're doing. Is it working? Is it working? There's one study done uh, 
by a, a group called uh, More in Common. It's a group set up after Joe Cox, uh, MP, was, was murdered by a terrorist in Yorkshire. And uh, that group looked at how people feel about society. And it showed, it was a study from America, but I wonder if this is relevant to us. It showed that, that there were very small pockets on the very right wing and the very left wing who had, were convinced about their view and how it definitely should be. And then there was this massive group in the middle that they called the, the exhausted majority. I wonder if that's true of our society, that lots of people, the way things are being done, in the way, it's exhausting people. People are tired, people are angry, people are hurting, and whatever Jesus would say about leave or remain, I wonder if Jesus would have a word to say about a society that leaves so many people feeling like it ain't working. He'd say, you know, Jesus, that he came, his vision of life, was to bring life in all its fullness. That to be alive is meant to feel full, not empty. And full of hope, not hopelessness. And full of light, not darkness. And, and, and I'm not saying which way devoted to bring that in. <laughs> but Jesus' vision of what life's meant to be like is not meant to leave large swathes of people feeling marginalized, oppressed, overlooked, ignored. I think he'd have something to say about that. None of which is to say which way you should vote. But I think we should pause and think about our society deeply. That's the first thing that Brexit reveals. Second thing, Brexit has revealed that there's something poisonous in our interactions with one another. You horrible idiots. No, I'm joking. I don't know if you've noticed, but can get pretty heated, this debate, can't it? You seen that? And that's right, because we should have strong opinions about this. This is not a talk to suggest you should give up your political views. No, no, no. But we seem to be very, 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 very angry as a country with one another. You know, I think in conversations about Brexit, there's two things that seem to inhabit lots of the conversation about the other side, whichever way you go. And I think it's these two things, bewilderment and then a disgust, actually. What's bewilderment? Bewilderment is when I cannot understand with my head why anybody with a brain would vote differently to me. I can't understand it. And that leads to kind of an eye-rolling at the other side. A bit of a pity, actually. But more than bewilderment, there's disgust. Have you noticed this in our society? There's disgust. And if bewilderment says, I can't understand with my head why anyone would, would think differently to me, disgust says, I can't stomach how anyone with a heart would vote differently to me on this issue. And actually, we don't just roll our eyes. We start to feel allergic to them other people. And that's a lot of the debate, isn't it? And maybe fueled by media on either side, we can start to use labels and language that's very hateful, actually. Uh, Alan Jacobs, a, a guy who wrote a wonderful little book called How to Think, A Guide for the Perplexed, which someone gave me as a present. And I thought, well, that's a little bit of offensive. And then I read it, and I was like, yeah, no fair. Um, <laughs> How to Think by Alan Jacobs. He uses this uh, phrase called the repugnant cultural other. And what that is, is that whereas before we could disagree with someone 
but we'd be doing it down the local pub over a beer and we'd go home. Actually, now our society has switched where we can't just critique someone's idea. We lump that in with their identity and they're other to us. They're far away. They're through Twitter and somewhere else. So I can just be repulsed by them, that we're disgusted by them. Now, is that how we want to treat one another? Maybe you feel a little bit convicted now. Maybe you've fallen into some of that. Is that how we want to treat one another? Should we really be building a way of interacting with one another where 87% of King's Heath are disgusted and repulsed by 71% of King's Standing? Or vice versa? You know, it feels quite good to lash out and name call sometimes. And uh, it's easier than thinking about the issues But it doesn't bring us the sort of contentment we sometimes feel when we lash out at someone else. Jacob says this, the cold, divisive logic of the repugnant cultural other impoverishes us all, all of us. Makes us less to treat one another like this. And I want to ask you, whatever your religion, whatever your politics, have you fallen for this lie? That to disagree with someone's idea is to to hate their identity as well. You know, we love labels, don't we? Whichever side you sit on this issue, Ramona, Brexiteer, any of these make you feel allergic at any point. Lefty, liberal, Tory, toff, chav, deplorable, clown, nutjob, wacko, scum, idiot. This is the language of a lot of our society at the moment. And is there more than that? Is there a better way than that? Is there a better way to interact than that? Jesus of Nazareth had a strong word for people. He didn't call people repugnant. He didn't call people other. Do you know what Jesus' word was for people? It sounds so twee to even say it. Neighbor. Neighbor. What would Jesus say about Brexit? I think he'd say, love your neighbor. And you think, oh, phew, I only have to be nice then to the, to the Remainers like me or to the Brexiteers like me, right? Jesus was met by some people who said to him, oh, so who's my neighbor? Just to check. That's got to be easy, yeah? And Jesus told one of the most famous stories ever told, the Good Samaritan. And it goes like this. There was a Jewish man who'd been attacked brutally and was left bleeding and bruised and dying on the floor. And a priest walked past and didn't care. And a religious assistant from the temple walked past and didn't care. Then enter stage the repugnant cultural other of the Jewish man, the Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans in those days, they didn't just disagree down the pub, they hated each other. It was a deep part of their identity to be opposed to one another. There was historical reasons, there were religious reasons, there were political reasons. They labeled each other, they hated each other. Never the two shall meet. And the baddie in the story, the Samaritan, he comes in and what does he do? He looks past a label He looks through the deep, entrenched ideological difference and he moves towards another human being 
who was wounded and treats him as a neighbor. And Jesus said, that is being neighborly. Not just hanging out with your pals, tutting at the others, but crossing divides in love for human beings, even those we disagree with. Now you say, that's hard. I've tried it. They're such idiots. <laughs> you know what? It is hard. But imagine for a second what a house of commons like that would look like. What a political system like that would look like. What a city like that would look like. What a campus like that would look like. What a workplace like that would look like. Where we disagree as neighbors. And it is hard, but I tell you what, as Christians, or if you're looking in on the Christian faith, and you think, I'd love to be like that, but I just have this resentment in me towards them idiots. You know, Christianity gives the best motivation you could ask for to love those we strongly disagree with. You know, for God, we were other. We were far away, right? We were really far away. We'd walked away from him. We were far away. There was a divide. And I'm not going to speak for you, lovely folk. But for me, I know there's one or two things I've thought, done, said, looked at, lived for, longed for, been, inhabited, done, that are sometimes, you could say, pretty repugnant, actually. And he could have labeled me and stayed far away. But in fact, the Son of God, even though he strongly disagrees with me on a lot of stuff, crossed the room, stepped in, walked towards me, not to affirm everything I believe, but to love me as my neighbor. You know, the Christian faith is not, hey, you lot, go and be good neighbors. It's, hey, you lot, remember how you have been neighbored. And now, how can you demonize 87% of King's Heath or 71% of King's Standing for their view on an EU referendum? God has crossed the room to love you. And if you don't know that experience, that's the invitation of Christianity to have a new way of doing things flowing out of a God who, though he disagrees with a lot that you have done, comes towards you as a neighbor. Third thing, and then there'll be a moment to get your questions in, and we'll go to Q&A, and you can, you know, be neighborly. <laughs> Third thing, Brexit reveals, if you heard this coming through in some of the worship, Brexit reveals life can be pretty shaky at times. You feeling that right now? I'll turn on BBC News. A common experience of the last month seems to be a journalist staring into a camera and going, well, I don't really know what's happened, uh, and it's never happened before, we know that. And uh, um, we're not exactly sure what it means. Uh, do you know what it means? Well, it could mean any number of things, but no. Um, and then, do you know what this is going to look like? Well, no, anything could happen now. Uh, back to you for the weather. Uh, and, and the whole thing, whether you love it or, or hate it in terms of leaving the EU, you've got to admit, we've rolled the dice, and now it just is unknown what's going to happen. It's like everything just feels uncertain and like it's shaking. And politics is shaking, and Westminster is shaking, and society is shaking, and the United Kingdom is shaking, 
and the West is shaking and the world is shaking. And do you know where we sit? We sit in that place. And so maybe you feel shaken right now because we're in here. Tim Lane, a pastor, said this, if you have your hope in unstable things, you will be unstable. Maybe you feel that. I have to say, one of my favorite things about being a Christian, I don't have all the answers, but as a Christian, I'm invited to entrench my life and flood my life and fill my life, build my life upon one who is older than Brexit and will be here beyond Brexit and who does not change, who is unshakable. That's the invitation of Christianity. You know, the United Kingdom shakes. The Bible describes knowing God as belonging to a kingdom that is unshakable. Everything else changes. Theresa May changes. Jeremy Corbyn changes. I change. You change. Jesus Christ doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know that quote, I'll end with this, that quote that we just said, that if you have your hope in unstable things, you will be unstable. What does the Bible say about hope? Describes having faith in Jesus like this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. If Jesus is up geographically, which is your call, Imagine that, an anchor thrown up. And then as everything shakes, my life is built on something firm. And I feel like I'm shaking, but I'm firm because of where my hope is. And in this whole thing, if you feel unshaken, that's the invitation to know Jesus Christ, an anchor for the soul in the storms of life.